2: Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out.
1: This is Psychoanalysis.
3: This is Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast analyzing the horror genre through the lens of mental health. I'm Jen Adams. I'm Lara Unerstahl.
0: And I'm Mike Snoonian.
3: And we are concluding our June theme by talking about another bad dad. Kind of. It gets a little complicated.
1: I'd say there's, there's some there's father figures, you know. And, and they're all not great. It's
0: now, a mix. Yeah.
3: It's kind of a mixed bag of dads. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So in our first Bad Dads episode, we talked about gender stereotypes, the nuclear family, gender-based violence, uh, as seen in The Stepfather. Uh, so make sure to check that out if you haven't already. But today, we are talking about the 2019 indie film, Come to Daddy. Come to Daddy. And I'm still saying it that way, because if you title your movie, Come to Daddy... Yeah. You know what you're asking for, you know? I,
0: I feel like
1: they're fully on board with you. it.
0: I've said it that way before, and y'all know what's up.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but before we do, we're going to give a brief synopsis of the film in case you haven't seen it or it's been a while. So here's your spoiler alert. And I always like to personify the spoiler alerts for some reason. I don't know where this thing came from. But today, the spoiler alert is jumping out at us like a plastic tiger bag filled with ominous symbolism on a peaceful
0: lakeshore. Spoiler.
1: Ah, that was
0: the tiger
2: (laughs) (laughs)
3: okay
0: that was quite lovely (laughs)
3: i'm sorry i just saw goth adjacently dressed okay i'm not gonna spoil it go
1: ahead i love that i was like how to describe his fashion that's exactly right yeah I feel like it's really essential to his characterization. It
0: is. (laughs) Sprocket from the old Saturday Night Live. Oh, yeah. He's definitely like
1: Sprockets. He's like the
3: episode of Schitt's Creek where David goes to the Amish farm. You know, that's his style.
1: Him and David from Schitt's Creek would totally hang out. (laughs) I think so, too. All right. Norval, a goth-adjacently dressed man (laughs) in his 30s, gets off the bus and walks into the woods. He follows a hand-drawn map through the brush and across a beach. He arrives at a beach house that, as he puts it, looks like a spaceship from the 1960s. He's there to meet his father for the first time since he was five, in response to a letter asking him to come to daddy, as it were. <laughs> come,
0: to come to daddy.
1: Come to daddy. I, I daddy. also think of Affect Quinn with that. His dad answers the door, intense, leathery, and suspicious. And you are on point with your descriptors today. <laughs> I'm <loving> it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got leathery from the dialogue. But- yeah. After a few strange moments, the two begin to talk. While taking a totes adorbs dorbs father-son beach selfie, Dad accidentally throws Norval's ridiculous gold phone into the water. Oops! We learn that Norval is in recovery from alcohol dependency. He tried to kill himself and is now living with his mom as he gets back on his feet. Dad is aggressively weird about this and drinks an obscene amount of wine right in Norval's face. Nice. (laughs) At night, Norval hears his father talking to someone unseen and also some mystery banging. Not the sexual kind. Mm -hmm. Literal banging. Yes. It's felt the need to clarify that. I mean, yes.
3: There's lots of different kinds of banging and this is ominous. This is literal.
1: There's
0: lots of different kinds of banging later on in this movie with lots Mm -hmm. of different people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it all happens off-screen, though, so you can can let the kids watch this one. (laughs) That is the true Uh, mystery banging. (laughs) (laughs) They have a day or two of bizarre father-son time, with Daddy acting volatile and belittling Norval at every turn. Norval suspects that his dad was drunk when he wrote him the letter and doesn't even remember what he wrote or that he wrote it. After giving him some shit for this, they get into a fight that escalates into Dad trying to kill Norval with a meat cleaver except he immediately has a heart attack and dies. Oops. Mm. Norval calls the lynchian sheriff and friendly coroner. There's no room at the morgue, so after getting a few nips and tucks, Dad's corpse has to stay at the house for the next few days. Once again, oops. Also, what the fuck?
0: (laughs) I I don't think that's a thing. I really.
1: (sighs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) The coroner gives Norval advice about how to handle the death of a loved one. She says when her husband died, she just kept talking to him, and it helped. The sheriff, on the other hand, belches and talks about raisin eyes. If you want more context on that one, you'll have to watch the movie. Yep, I think that's sufficient. <laughs> well,
0: yes. It makes sense, though. The analogy makes sense the way he uses it.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Norval relapses on wine and has a self-destructive night that includes drunk dialing the kindly coroner who is not into it. After finding a family photo album, Norval realizes that the man whose corpse is chilling in the bedroom is not actually his father. You mean, you're not my real dad. You're not my real dad. (laughs) (laughs) I've been sitting on that
3: one since I watched this movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It applies. It does. Following the mysterious banging sounds, Norval uncovers a hatch in the middle of the house. It leads to a creepy basement where his real dad is chained up and beaten bloody. Before Norval can release him, a terrible Irishman named Jethro comes downstairs to menace Papa. He's got a poo pen and he knows how to use it. (laughs) Again, for more context, you'll have to watch the movie. (laughs) Norval hides in the closet, but misses every opportunity to surprise Jethro, who finds him almost immediately. They tussle and Jethro runs upstairs, only to find his friend Gordon's corpse. Gordon being fake dad. He takes off, shouting threats, and it's pretty clear that he means what he says. Norval helps his real dad, Brian, escape the chains. During this, we learn that after abandoning his wife and son, Brian fled to Tokyo, lived out a heist film with Jethro Gordon and someone named Dandy, and made a fortune from kidnapping a wealthy child. Turns out Norval and Mom's Beverly Hills lifestyle has been bankrolled by his estranged dad's sleazy crimes. He really packs a lot of information into this this moment that they share. Mm -hmm. Brian then disappeared with the group's one last score. And now he's in trouble, as evidenced by his friends singing, Bitch, better have my money, to the tune of imprisoning and torturing him. Nice And torturing him, (laughs) next on the news. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't know, (laughs) I just like that voice. That was fun for me. Nor- Norval's nervous stomach gets the better of him, and he has to go number two. <laughs> Unfortunately, there's already someone in the bathroom. It's Dandy, and now they most fat to the death. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm losing it <laughs> today. Going into different characters, I don't know I why. I mean, it kind of
3: suits the tone of the movie, you
1: know? I think it was the name Dandy, yeah. This, the tone of this movie is all over the place, yes. and I like it. Toilet paper trailing behind him, Norval fights Dandy. In a bold first act of violence, he stabs him over and over again in the nuts.
0: We don't mean almonds.
1: No, we mean his testicles. Improvising in the kitchen like a regular barefoot Contessa, he wraps a roll of saran wrap around Dandy's head, suffocating him while beating him in the face. Wow, Norval. Just wow. Yep. Before Norval and Brian can flee the property, Jethro returns. And now he has a flaming crossbow. Great! He also finds Norval's luggage tag, so he knows where Norval and his mother live. Double great! Brian tells Norval what he has to do he has to kill Jethro. Norval then hides in the trunk of Jethro's car, which can magically open from the inside. They get to a motel where Jethro is meeting a sex worker named Precious. After a series of motel hijinks, Norval confronts Jethro with a pointy thing he stole from the front desk that the clerk uses to store paper receipts. What is this object called? I have no idea. <laughs> oh, Norval also used it to puncture Jethro's tires. This will become important in a moment. The tables quickly turn, and after Precious puts Norval in a headlock, Jethro stabs him over and over with the receipt thingy. Then he stabs him through both cheeks. Owie, owie, owie! Owie! It's really pretty bad.
0: Yeah, it's pretty, uh- <laughs> There's not a lot of gore in this movie, but what is there Uh is superb.
1: Packs a punch. (laughs) Thinking Norval is dead, Jethro heads off, pun intended, (laughs) to meet Norval's mom. But not so fast. Thanks to his tires, he runs off the road, hits a sign, and walks off with a massive head injury. Norval finds Jethro and talks to him. We learn that Norval's mother was a sex worker and Jethro says a bunch of disrespectful things about her while his brain is exposed. Norval removes the receipt thingy from his cheek like someone unsheathing a sword and plants it in Jethro's head wound, instantly killing him. I think he says Arthur.
2: Yes. Yep. A
1: little brain firing off at the end there. As Norval begins the long trip back to the spaceship house, we finally hear his father's invitation letter. It's very sweet. Norval finds his dad and the two lay on the beach. Norval confesses to his dad that he never let his mom get over him. He feels like he robbed her of her chances to be happy with new romantic partners because part of him was sure his real father would one day return. He asks his dad why he wrote the letter, but before he can answer, Brian dies. And that was come to daddy! <laughs> come to big papa! Suck on papa's little nipples! Ooh. I'm sorry, I made it weird... <laughs>
3: That took oh, a turn feed. quite
1: like this movie does. <laughs> Fiend at the teat of daddy.
3: <laughs> okay, I got to So that was come, come to daddy. Um, <laughs> so let's do a feelings check. And this is where we share our first experience with this film and how it makes us feel when we watch it. Mike, would you care to start?
0: Yeah, I really like this. Like this was a first time watch for me uh, for this episode. I know it was a suggestion from Lara and it was a great suggestion. Absolutely perfect for the topic that we're covering, but also just like what a fucking roller coaster of a movie. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: It definitely, I thought it was like, and it had been on the radar. Like it's one of those things I know that it played either South by Southwest or Fantastic Fest a couple years ago. It's kind of like the perfect movie for that kind of crowd. I find what Elijah Woods and you know, his counterpart, Daniel Radcliffe, like what they're doing post their big franchise careers, absolutely enthralling mm-hmm. in terms of the choices they're making as actors. They're Basically, they have what I would call like fuck you money,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and they can do whatever they want to do, and they have made some bull. I mean, like Daniel Radcliffe plays a farting corpse in a movie, and it's amazing. Um, yes, he Swiss, does. Swiss Army Man, everyone should see it. Elijah Woods also just doing fascinating stuff in the genre. It's really obvious that he is a horror fan and loves it. He yes. is the founder of like Spectre Vision, which has produced a number of terrific films and Mandy.
1: <laughs>
2: but he is Sorry.
0: so he um, got Mike
1: had to get his Mandy had to get it in know. there. But it, was this is, did, it was well delivered. Was.
0: Thank you. It was just a good zinger, and I just think he's like. So vulnerable here he's like alternatively like charming and vulnerable and lost. This is like an oddly cathartic movie. Uh, I think there's gonna be you know a good amount to unpack when we get into the movie itself, and also, I know we meant like that last kill with the kind of letter opener and the exposed brain is an all timer I think like, I rewound it three times, going holy shit like it was just set up perfectly and then executed perfectly and just just made me do the
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's kind of underplayed too. like they don't give it, it a really stinger is. or anything it's yeah. just like Boop. yeah yeah it's almost like an Boop. experiment he's like what yeah. what will
3: happen if i do this just Bunk. yeah, yeah.
0: it it ends on a wonderful note i think it depicts a very complicated but also wonderful relationship between a dad and a son And when I say cathartic, I think like the moments with the son and the fake dad's corpse when he's kind of just like venting at him. Mm -hmm. I've definitely been there,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: which maybe we'll get into a little bit tonight. Who knows? Um, So strong recommend for me. And I'm looking forward to kind of chatting about this movie.
3: Laura, what about you?
1: Yeah, this this movie be crazy. (laughs) Um, I I saw it sort of early in the pandemic cuz it went uh you know on some streaming service maybe it was Amazon I don't remember but um I remember one of the last movies I saw in the movie theater at the Music Box I don't even remember what movie it was but there was a trailer for this movie and I was like pumped to see it at Music Box and then obviously the pandemic hit <laughs> here in the United States and and you know they very I would say w- with some speed put this on streaming and You know, it was just a weird night early in the pandemic, me alone in my apartment watching this movie. And I thought it was I really loved it. I thought it was bizarre. It's exactly like a indie movie that could only be made by people who are really passionate about this kind of thing. Like no one would ever bankroll this movie except for like weirdos like Elisha Wood, And I am grateful for them. I think it's a lot of gross fun, but has a heart of gold. It's visually beautiful when it doesn't need to be. There's so many great performances from character actors like Stephen McCaddy, who I'm a big fan of, Michael Smiley, and Martin Donovan. Even characters that only show up for a few moments are fully realized and like weird as hell, (laughs) like the sheriff, the motel clerk, Precious. Just You feel like there's a full life behind them. It ends up being pretty touching in the end, but in ways that make me feel a little uncomfortable. I guess I'll also unpack this a bit more in the movie discussion. Um just more about like themes of masculinity that I find interesting. It's not that I'm coming down on either side of an argument. I just there's just some thoughts I have that are not fully realized. So mm-hmm. we will talk about it. I just think it's a really interesting and weird and funny and charming and violent movie and those are all things that I like. So <laughs>
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed a lot of this movie. This was first watch for me, and I was excited because Elijah Wood is one of my earliest crushes. Yeah, I've had a crush on Elijah Wood since since I was thirteen, and found out he was also thirteen, which told me that we were destined to spend forever together. Because yeah. I guess we were the only two people I thought in the world that were thirteen. Um, and That's how it works. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I love him. This movie. I don't know. There's something... There's a lot that I really love about it. And then it takes a really, really big twist. And that twist is introduced by a character I don't really like, although I think a lot of what he says is funny. And I'm talking about Jethro. But he introduces himself by um, talking about a pin he smeared with his own poo... And that was just so off-putting to me. It was really hard for me to get on board with him. And so for the that middle section of the movie, I find it really interesting. I don't know how much I like it, but I thought it was, uh, yeah, interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, I could see being put off by that. Right, right. <laughs> I don't think that's an abnormal response. Yeah, life. and I mean, that's a personal reaction. I'm not making a statement
3: about the quality of it, you know, um, yeah, but I yeah. love everything about, um, I think the rest of the movie and then there's just that kind yeah. of middle section that just kind of goes into place that it's just not necessarily my jam it actually kind of reminds me of Mandy in a lot of ways you know of just kind of there's there's just a little bit of bonkers in it you know which which a lot of times I'm down for and I don't know if I was just like this movie activated a lot of anger for me in its first act and so mm-hmm. like I watched it again this afternoon to kind of kind of maybe give it a little more of a chance for that that middle act and and I liked it a lot more I think once I I knew what it was doing. It really scared mm-hmm. me in parts two, though. Like, mm-hmm. that twist is fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was really, like, I wasn't necessarily surprised by the photo album twist because, yeah. you know, I've seen another movie I don't want to spoil. But, like, when he went down in the basement, like, that really, I was like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah.
1: It becomes a totally different movie from yeah. what it sort of sets you up to think that it is. And, like, that'll either you know, you'll either love it or you'll be like annoyed and irritated by it. Cause I think it's like, it's almost like thoughtful, quiet, slow burn horror thriller with like a comedic edge. And then it just becomes like zany, like movie with all these like heist film elements and like criminal, like, Craziness. It almost feels like an In Bruges kind of thing. Like, yep. yeah, uh, it's just it's 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 weird. Yeah, it's a weird ass movie.
0: There was a period in the mid '90s, like after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, like really hit. That like there was a certain brand of indie movie. That featured characters like Jethro, like they had that kind of like snappy gangster dialogue, and they were obviously lesser Tarantino. I'm thinking of things like Suicide Kings and Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag and mm-hmm. Swimming with the Sharks, and like there's a certain Guy brand Ritchie of kind of stuff. Yeah, even like sub Guy Ritchie type stuff, like a certain kind of indie, like Snatch, I guess might fall into it, but like just a certain trope of movie. That yeah. doesn't hasn't necessarily like I loved them at the time. Like I used to love swimming with the sharks, but that like type of movie hasn't really aged well, and it's definitely of a particular moment in time in particular era that probably won't be replicated again.
1: And I think that's where some of my complex feelings toward this are coming up because I think a lot of those kind of movies really celebrate yes that toxic masculinity mm-hmm. and like violent attitude and stuff like this, whereas this movie is almost like having fun with those tropes I don't totally know where it comes down on them you know like what what it's trying to say with some of it but I think it's it it feels almost like you're with Norville and you're expecting this one kind of life experience and then a Guy Ritchie movie breaks out yeah, (laughs) (laughs) and you're like what the fuck and like that's like and and that's really fun and kind and funny it's very like postmodern in that way you know it's like like all of the the stuff that would normally be the centerpiece of a movie like all the action and the heist stuff is like delivered within like a minute of dialogue you know Mm -hmm. and 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 then it's but then he's drawn into it and i think that's really fascinating and weird but uh yeah yeah, yeah.
3: this is a very like feeling movie for me. Like I feel like I experience it, you know, especially because there are a couple of things that like re- I really connect with. And I had this experience today when I was doing therapy and it was brain spotting. And it, I'm kind of learning that a lot of the point of that is not really to resolve things in a session, but just to kind of, kick things up sometimes and stir them around sometimes. And I left it today thinking, like, I don't really know where I landed there. I think we just, like, talked about it. And I think that's kind of how I feel when I watch this movie. It's, like, it's touching on a lot of things I find really fascinating. Um, And I think it's really poignant and beautiful in a lot of ways. And there are things, like, like, the ending made me cry the first time. But I'm just not really sure it it doesn't wrap anything up in a bow and I kind of like that, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's a, sp- subtly complex movie it's like you're watching it and you're like oh and then you like start to think about it afterwards and you're like huh
3: yeah (laughs) and I feel like in theory I like that middle section a lot especially given the fact that a lot of this it's like this really heavy emotional drama that I feel like we're going into and then it like flips on its head and there's part of me that really likes that because it's almost like dumping the pressure off you know
1: yeah Totally. I just,
3: I don't know. It could just be I wasn't quite in the mood to go all the way to the place it was trying to take me, but yeah, mm-hmm. you know.
1: That's totally fair. Yeah,
3: but I love Elijah Wood, and I love Stephen McCaddy. Mm-hmm. This
0: definitely feels like a movie you need to be in the mood for. Yeah. I also wonder how it would play in front of a crowd, like when those twists unveil. Oh, mm-hmm. and I wish how I
1: had experienced a, that. A,
0: a character like Jethro belongs on, like, a 200-foot screen, not a 55-inch screen.
1: Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and
3: I, as much as I I feel like I kind of gave him some shit uh, (laughs) uh, earlier, like, I wrote down a couple of things that he said because it really cracked me up, and it was really, like, subtly weird humor. Like, I think he says, I'm out of here named Vladimir... I was like, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that forever now because I love that. <laughs> and I love there's a yeah. moment where he like fixes his hair, but he doesn't like brush his hair off his shoulders. It's like he presents his hair the way he, his ideal of himself is. He's just a very particular person, which I really oh, dig. Yeah. I'm just not I, always quite in the mood for it, you know.
1: That's it. I mean, like every character in this has got like some very specific quirks, and like they bring the weight of their performance. And he's been in a lot. I haven't like seen a ton of what he's been in, but I've definitely seen his face before. And I was like going down his IMDb. And he's been in a lot of these like Irish plays, a lot of like Irish gangsters Mm -hmm. from Belfast, got that Belfast accent, and like he's just a. He's
0: He's one of the leads in Kill List, right?
1: Yeah, he is. Which I've never actually seen, although I have it sitting on DVD because I've heard that it's great, but that it's so bleak. That I just have been like, I have it on um, either DVD or Blu-ray and I just look at it and then I go, not tonight, but I really do want to see it.
0: You're in for a treat when you eventually see it. Love it. Hell yeah. Yeah, love it.
1: And
3: now let's dig into our mental health topic. And we are still on the topic of bad dads. And you know, I don't know if I'll ever get tired of talking about this topic. Um, (laughs) But we talked a lot in our episode on the stepfather about kind of fathers and kind of the gender stereotypes in the nuclear family. And so, Mike, what are we talking about today?
0: Yeah. So today we're going to we're going to do like a quick little recap of last week. Last week, we talked about some of the problems that occur through neglectful or abusive parenthood, specifically with fathers. So here's like the previously on this episode recap. Previously on about, psychoanalysis.
3: Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry.
0: I thought I would have something clever after that. Oh. <laughs> and i just cried. Sorry. Uh, hey, it's been um, a week, you know. <laughs> no. So, we talked about gender based violence, which occurs when cultural gender norms are challenged and there's like a drastic power imbalance between the masculine and feminine genders. Men find themselves particularly susceptible to this when they feel their authority is challenged. They become overly assertive out of fear that they don't have control. Signs of abuse include regarding partners and their children as their own property. Discounting the work and contributions of others in the home and withholding affection. Uh, and it's kind of important to note, like, even when the abuser leaves home, that trauma persists. It's called absent presence. This week, we're going to dig a little bit more into what we can do to com- combat that a bit. I think we briefly mentioned the idea of like mindfulness parenting, mm-hmm. which is basically when you're, as a parent, just acknowledging your own effort saying like, I am doing the best that I can as a parent. I may not always be getting it perfect, but I'm trying and I'm present and and I'm aware and that in and of itself is a win. It means like meeting the kids where they are and the level that they're at and like speaking to them and meeting them on that level and not assuming that you are the authority just because you're the parent. But assuming that your children are the authority on themselves, so this idea that if you can be more present, if you can be more open to listening to your children, engaging with your children, and kind of like hearing what they're going through, don't assume anything. And this is something that I can tell you. Like I had a situation recently where I had like a child and a parent in the school that I was meeting with, and The kid was going through some heavy stuff, and the parent was kind of just poo-pooing everything. And I could feel my hackles raise. Like everything the kid said, they had like a problem with. The dad had an immediate, without even really considering it or acknowledging this, the kid's thought or feeling. Like had an immediate. Well, this is the reason why you feel that way. I would strongly recommend not doing that. I would recommend asking your kids open-ended questions, talking to them, learning a little bit more about them. And that kind of parenting style can go a long way to helping develop healthy, well-adjusted children. You know, I am by no means like the expert in like how to be the world's greatest dad, despite what 11 years worth of like Father's Day gifts and
1: (laughs) stuff would
0: suggest uh, it's all a ruse, but you know, I think I want to do a couple of things like here are some things you can do as a, as a dad to improve your relationship with your child and strengthen yourself as a parent. First, like acknowledge that as a dad, we have the edge just by showing up. I mean, really, yeah. we did talk a little bit about this last time, like the burden of parenthood often falls on mothers. And it's actually something I was discussing with a client tonight, like saying, Hey, You know, you have the hard job. You have, like, get up the kids in the morning, get them into school, play with them all day, do all... And then dad gets to come home, pick them up, be super fun dad, unwind with them, you know, like, watch TV with them, play a game with them, read a book. Like, you get to do all the fun stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is what I would call, like, how I learned to stop worrying and embrace the patriarchy because, like...
3: (gasps) I'm sorry, we're going to have to put that on a mug.
1: <laughs> I know, it yeah. does feel like t-shirt material. Boom. Except patron we're not level. embracing
3: the patriarchy. We're embracing the fact that the patriarchy exists and we must destroy it.
1: Right, I feel like it's all in the design <laughs> or people will yeah. hurt you on the street. That's true.
0: I'm in, I'm embracing the patron level that gets our <laughs> listeners' mugs <Yes>. one day. <laughs> I am all about that. We love you, Patreon. Patreon.com, psychoanalysis podcast. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, we do need to acknowledge that. But basically, yeah. we do have a leg up already. Like, the bar is set incredibly low. Yes. One of the things I would say, you know, things you can do, model appropriate behavior for your children. Like, the way that you want them to act, you should also be acting in that way. Like, don't go by the like do what I say, not what I do model of parenthood. Mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. children are sponges. They are gonna pick up their social cues from you, their emotional cues from you, they're gonna talk how they handle situations. You know, I had a a teenage client I work with who talks about how people staring at him is a trigger and it sets him off and like, it's been one for his parent as well. And it's like, yeah, where do you think you learned that from?
3: I learned it from really, watching you, Dad. OK, oh, I learned like, it from watching like, you.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> really early in my counseling internship, I had I have a young kid who like part of the reason he came in was he kind of was like a potty mouth with his parents. He, you know, would drop F-bombs and he was really sarcastic and he's, you know, it was on the spectrum. And then I met dad and dad came in and I watched them interact for like three minutes with one another. And, and then dad was like, you know, the way he talks, you know, it's just not appropriate. And I'm like, you realize he's basically talking exactly like you, right? He's like, what? I'm like, he uses the same exact cadence that you do. Like the same inflections, the same cadence, the same kind of rhythm. Like he talks exactly like you.
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: what you're doing right now is you're modeling for him the way that other people interact and talk to one another, and you know he has trouble processing social cues as it is because of his disability. You know, if you don't want him to be like a sarcastic motherfucker, I did not say motherfucker <laughs> in session.
1: <laughs> um,
0: you know, don't don't do it with him. Yeah, I don't know. yeah. yeah. How did he devastated. react to
1: that? I have to know.
0: Kind of like a little bit of pushback, mm. um, but you know, eventually, like we got him where we need to go. Well, that's you know, I remember my my first day with the, with the kid. Like they were like concerned because he swore too much, but he never did it in school or other places. He only did it around the parent, and you know, I'm really concerned about how much he swears. And then dad left the room, and I shut the door, and I'm like, I'm gonna be honest with you, buddy. Like you can say whatever the fuck you want in here as long as you're respectful. If you want to curse in front of me, like it'll never bother me as long as you're not making any threats. And the kid, like maybe two times in like two years, is let go of a curse word. And he's like, oh, sorry, mm-hmm. because I just don't react to it. Yeah. Like, I don't make a big deal of it. You mm-hmm. know?
3: Well, and you set boundaries too, you know? You're like, this is okay. This is not, you know? Yeah. And that kind of ideologies kind of stuff filters down to like, we've been, my daughter has played softball and man, some of these coaches are intense Like, like, oh, yeah. uh, they're eight and this is coach pitch. Like nobody's getting scouted for the majors. And so there's this one team in particular where the coach will like aren't come out and argue with like the 17 year old umpire, you know, like it's mm-hmm. just ridiculous. And so we were, um, watching a game and it was a tournament, so there were lots of doubleheaders. And I heard the girls on his team sitting behind us and they were watching our game and they were like talking about each team and they were like, I want to play this team because they don't look very good and I think we can beat them and this other team is going to be aggressive and I think we're going to be able to beat them. And it was just like, that's what happens when you model really aggressive, really intense behavior, you know, is that they see it and they may not um, like imitate exactly what you're doing, but they imitate the way you treat other people, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, 100%. 100%. I used to referee youth soccer and the, and they were like five and under, it was like literally mm. four and five year olds. Mm-hmm. And like the parents and coaches were brutal. Like they just made it the most unenjoyable experience that it possibly could be. So I used to tell kids like, when they were playing, I'm like, your dad said, if you won, he's taking you for ice cream,
2: <laughs> Nice,
0: you know, like, and they just like, cause then I, after the game I could leave. And then the dad's like, we're going for ice cream. That's like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. They would have a meltdown and dad would have to deal with it.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I was such a prick at 18 years old. <laughs> so we talked about discipline. I'll skip ahead a little bit. Like, Disciplining your kid doesn't mean that you have to be like a complete hard ass, but it does mean like setting boundaries. Kids actually want that safety net. Mm -hmm. Like kids want to know that like there is a limit to what they can do. Otherwise they get scared because like they don't know what they're capable of. So I would say like set the boundary, let your child know what is appropriate and set the expectation for them. Be very clear with them. Have them state it back to you in their own words, allow them to ask questions about it. You know, because kids kind of need to know, like they're naturally curious. When they violate that boundary, follow through on what the consequences are. If you've told them, like, look, if you watch inappropriate videos on TikTok, you're going to lose the iPad for a week and then. That happens, and you're like, "Oh my god! If I take away my kid's iPad for a week, I'm gonna have to interact with them." Never uh-huh. mind, you learned your lesson after an hour. Here you go. The kid's gonna know. Like, I can get away with anything.
1: Mm-hmm. Don't write checks. Your body can't catch. Exactly. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Follow through on it when you have to. Like discipline them. Like discuss why you're doing it, and it's a discussion, not a one way street. like A discussion is not you as a parent having all of the conversation and then being like, now go to your room. Explain to them the reason why and ask them if they understand why you're doing it and really listen to their response. And finally, forgive them and move on. Don't hold it over their head. Don't be that parent that is like, do you remember that time three years ago when you did this? Well, that's why I'm punishing you right now. It's like, well, that doesn't make any sense like that seems to not have any bearing on what's actually going on here mm-hmm. um you have to be able to forgive and let go otherwise you know and we talked about again like with a client talking about being irritable sometimes like when you don't discipline them things stack up over time so you know something that you don't want to have happen happens you let it go you let it go you let it go then you finally reach your breaking point, and that thing you reach the breaking point on is usually at the bottom of the pile in terms of what you're actually concerned about. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I let them, like, use the stove and set the countertop on fire and did nothing, but God damn it, they had an Oreo before dinner, and that's mm-hmm. just not allowable. So be present for your children, and that means, like, being there physically for them, but also, like, socially, like, go to their social functions, ask about their day. Be emotionally available, talk to their teachers, go to their sporting events, go to their plays, like be the parent that's involved. Like that goes a long way. Like I've had parents that I've worked with that have said, Well, like I worked three extra shifts so my kid would have like the best possible life. And it's like, Well, what does that best possible life to your kid actually look like? Maybe Mm -hmm. they would have loved it if you were there when they, you know got like the second you know lead role in the school play and you missed it you know and i'm not i understand that circumstances are different for everybody but like sometimes you just got to be there for him Mm -hmm. finally like embrace failure like admit it like let your kids know that as a parent you fuck up and you fuck up a lot Mm -hmm. don't feel like you have to be perfect like when you make a mistake own it don't be afraid to apologize to your kid like if you get something wrong let them know, like, hey, I was wrong about this. Like, I'm really sorry. Like, I didn't listen to you, didn't really under fully understand what's going on, and I reacted in a pretty bad way. That's on me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, that shows your kids that you're fallible. Show warmth, affection, tenderness. Like, don't be the strong silent type.
3: Yeah. That's just you being a
0: dick. Um, yeah.
3: And that I think so So many men have a hard time with that, you know, because we're like yeah. conditioned to not show that affection. But I mean, that is mm-hmm. it's crucial, you know, And and like there have been times when I've lost my temper and I've gotten really upset and I've like yelled at my kids. And then mm-hmm. like when and then the biggest like. Successes I feel like I've had with parenting is when I go to my daughters and like, hey, I'm sorry, I I I, my let my emotions get out of control. It doesn't mean I don't love you. Or sometimes I'm like, I'm still mad about this. Give me an hour and then we'll talk about it. You know? Mm -hmm. Because they model like we said, they model your behavior and they model that behavior too. Like they model the positive stuff. And exactly. It's just like allow your your kids to see you being a human being or the kind of human being you want them to be. You know?
0: Yeah. And don't be afraid to have the talk with them. Uh, and, you yes. know, the talk that we're talking about.
1: So when you talk to them about cryptocurrency?
0: Exactly. <laughs> Dago, what is it like? Doggle coin at this point? I don't know. When a Dogg-o-Coin. quarter and a
1: dime
3: really mm-hmm. love each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: you know, we talk a lot about, you know, hey, we need to teach like young women to be aware of their environment and don't take open drinks from someone you don't know. And, Make sure you know walk a certain way and always have. But at the end of the day, like we really need to talk to young boys to not sexually assault and rape women. Yep. Like if we if we taught boys that, yes, please, the start, thanks. Yep. Like we wouldn't have to have that conversation with women if it wasn't something. And as a guy, like it's not that I don't have to worry about it at all, but it's something that like I don't have to worry about it nearly as much. And I think that it's really important we have that talk with young boys and young men early and often. Like it's not a one-time conversation; it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. I was joking with my co-host off air. We just had a bunch of eleven-year-olds over for my daughter's birthday party, and they were on the deck talking about pansexuality and bisexuality and queerness and trans and. I'm like, you're 11. Like when I was 11, I was worried about can Hulk Hogan body slam Andre the Giant? Like that was (laughs) my pick. So kids are like way more plugged in now to things like this. So Mm -hmm. you can't avoid it. You can't bury your head. I never had the sex talk, my parents. My mom found condoms in my room in college when I was home for the summer and confronted my then girlfriend who Mm. was not my girlfriend for much longer after that. So yeah. don't be that parent oh
1: yeah you've told that story before that's a nightmare Yeah, that was hellish yeah
0: let them know that they they can say no like they don't have to prove their manhood like boys can say no too if they're uncomfortable with the sexual activity but teach them about consent and teach them about responsibility like look like sex is great it has consequences uh-huh you have to be prepared to like accept those consequences yeah so that's my spiel on how to be a great dad yeah <laughs> if you follow those things you will you know i have a lot of flaws but i think one thing i think both my wife and i have done is we've created like a pretty awesome kid who was like <laughs> smart and empathetic and funny Maybe a a little of a social misanthrope sometimes, like, but you (laughs) know, God lover. That's a
1: good thing. Yeah. That's, we need more, a few more of those.
0: Yeah. Um, That's, that's one we got right, you know? So there you go. And if you're out there as listeners and if you're like, I hate my dad, like, if you need a surrogate dad just for a little (laughs) bit, like, just DMs are open. I can (laughs)
1: come to daddy. (laughs) I can give you the,
0: I can give you an attaboy. I, if you slide into second base, I can and scrape your knee. I can say, rub some dirt in it. <laughs> get out there. I can give you the attaboy. Mm-hmm. You know, we can go have a catch. Oh. You know, we can go do anything <laughs> like that. So, i have talked about this elsewhere. My persona, like, has always been like punk rock dad. Like that, people have always, for whatever reason, like, I just kind of give off that vibe. So yeah. you know,
3: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, it's funny you're saying a lot of this stuff, and it's a lot of that comes back to some things I learned as I was a teacher, too, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like when kids are watching, like just show them that you're a human being, too, and that goes a long way, you know? Yeah, there's this understanding that boys...
0: The whole boys will be boys.
3: Yeah, the boys will be boys thing. And just kind of this understanding of what a man and a father is supposed to be. And that's just not really helpful for anybody. You know, like what is helpful is for kids to see you being a human being and and to have hard conversations. And it's okay to not know all of the answers all the time. And that was a huge turning point I had when I was teaching is like letting them know that I'm not perfect and that I'm going to say things that are wrong and that that's not the end of the world. And it doesn't completely invalidate me. And then they'll know that it's okay for them to make mistakes too. And that you're still going to love them. You know, like that's the one of the conversations that I wish I had heard growing up is I'm mad at you right now. You did this thing wrong. It doesn't mean I stop loving you. You know, it just means yeah. we're mad right now and we won't be mad forever. And then we'll move on, you know? And I just, I feel like not yeah. hearing that, like, that's the thing I constantly am saying in therapy, Grown up Jen wants to tell young Jen, you know?
1: It's funny that you say that, like, it just makes me realize that like, in all these fights growing up, even my mom, my grandma, they never said that. And I mean, that's not on them. It's yeah. necessarily, it's like not something that I think is a social skill that's taught to parents. It's just, I'm mad at you and you have to understand the consequences. I just remember that feeling of like, oh fuck, everything's over every time right. <laughs> there was a fight. And mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, it's just interesting. I think and I think that stuff really does carry over into the way you have relationships as an adult.
3: Yeah, yeah. And we're raising the generation that, can change the way that we see these things, you know, like, Mm -hmm. that's another thing I was thinking when I taught is like, there's this, this understanding of we do these things, because this is how we were raised, or this is how it was done when we were a kid. And it's like, well, we have the power to teach these young people to not see it that way. And it's a lot easier to change their minds sometimes than it is, you know, like really, really deep held beliefs that are harmful
1: oh yeah yeah well there's me and I, i'm just trying to teach my dog not to eat shit
3: oh man oh that was a battle that i just lost i was like <laughs> i don't know what to do here it's so gross
1: <laughs> it's really disgusting yeah oh
3: uh, that's
1: a good transition. that is a good transition
3: All right. So now let's talk about specifics from the movie. And maybe we can start with Norville, played by Jen's dream crush, Elijah Wood.
1: I wanted to know if you were attracted to him in this movie. I
3: am. I'm not he is not the hottest I've ever seen him. Like
1: mm-hmm. that might
3: be the faculty. That might be like peak Elijah Wood hotness for me. Sure. And now and I also have not seen every Elijah Wood movie. But um yeah, I mean I was not so much into the the mustache and the haircut but like his eyes like he just has this really emotive face and he just seems like really caring and nice you know and so i i mean i was definitely into it you know he
0: has kind eyes
3: yeah he has kind eyes
1: he doesn't have raisin eyes
3: yeah um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah maybe we can talk about raisin eyes because i think in the original rough draft i was like dude spout some nonsense about raisins (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like <laughs> I I loved that whole moment. It was so weird. But yeah. Norval, Norval, sorry, as a character. No, no, I, I started this train <laughs> off the cliff of hotness. I just say he's an interesting character. I mean, you really like obviously the themes of this movie are like how your parent impacts you as a person mm-hmm. and all that. But like, I think it was a very good or like believable characterization. Um, He's very desperate for approval. He's very image conscious. Mm-hmm. He's also very self-loathing there's this whole theme of him kind of refusing to fully accept that he was abandoned, mm-hmm. which he talks about at the end of the movie with sabotaging his mom's relationships. Cause he's convinced that some little part of him is convinced that daddy will come back one day. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really rich characterization.
3: I think so too. And I think I love the way Elijah Wood played him. Cause I feel like there's a lot of depth, you know, and like mm-hmm. the moment at the end, there's like, when I watched it the second time, I noticed that he says to Gordon's corpse, like he says, I want to tell you something, but I'm afraid it's going to make me sound like a bad person, which is the way he leads into it at the very end. And it's like that moment Mm -hmm. of him, like he has carried this guilt about this thing for so long that he has like a practiced way that he's going to like launch into saying it. And he just doesn't have the guts to do it at that moment. And it really broke my heart in a way that made me like feel kind of seen, you know, because the thing is like, he's the child, you know, like he's Mm -hmm. not a child here, but he is a child in this relationship. And yes, I know like his dad left and he probably was not who he wanted to be around his mom. And he probably does have a lot of guilt about not letting her move on. But I mean, that's also like, that's an understandable reaction for a child to have when their father leaves. The father was the one who left, you know?
1: Yeah. I feel like we've never had a better moment for an actual Freudian interpretation of this. (laughs) Like he sort of gets locked in this childhood, this permanent childhood, Mm -hmm. because he was never able to resolve anything with his father and was so emotionally dependent on his mother for emotional stability to the point where he made sure that she would never have someone to replace him Mm -hmm. because he says it's because he thinks his dad will come back. But I mean, I would question that. I would push him on that a little bit and be like, well, you sort of became her primary partner, Mm -hmm. even to the point of like having this emotional breakdown and then moving in with her as an adult and really leaning on her. You know, she helped me get back on my feet, which is, you know, I mean, not so abnormal. I think it's, it would be great to be able to depend on a parent in a, in a moment of crisis, you know, but I think there's more going on there right. that I would prod him on if I was yeah. counseling yeah. him, which I would not be good if, for me to do because I'm not a licensed counselor.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's Mike. definitely it's definitely not just that Norval wanted Dad to come home because eventually, like you know, Norval turns eighteen, twenty, twenty five, thirty, and it's no longer like Dad coming home to kind of watch over him. Like you said, like it's more about no other relationship ever being more important between mom and Norval than the one they have. Like, there's no other partner that can be put above him at that point. Mm -hmm. So he can go out of his way to kind of sabotage all of them. You do see, like, I mean, sons and stepfathers don't always get along with one another.
1: Yeah. It's almost like a cliche joke, like stepdad, you know? Yeah.
0: And it doesn't always have to be, like, antagonistic or hostile. But there can be like an aloofness to the relationship that you can kind of feel that chill within the home when it's there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My dad passed like when I was in college, like I was 19. My mom met her now husband at a widowers group and they married in 2001 or 2000 after like a pretty long courtship. And I'll admit, like their relationship is a bit weird. Like there's not the same level of warmth that. I saw my dad exhibit towards my mom and vice versa. Uh like my dad definitely worshipped like the ground my mom walked on. Um, I took a lot of hard knocks as a kid, but you know, he would not lift a finger towards my mom or my sister. Like I was just the boy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it was pretty common for the era. Something I still struggle with, but whatever. And my mom and her current husband now. It seems like a very companionship relationship. Like, hey, we've both lost someone. We would like to not grow old together. And, the, you know, we like not to grow old alone. And they complement yeah. one another in very nice ways. Like, my mom couldn't be in the house that she's in if her husband now wasn't so handy.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, Cause he can just like build pretty much anything and she looks out for him like health wise and makes sure that he does things he might ignore otherwise but it's still odd and I sometimes catch myself thinking like if my mom were to pass away before he did what would the relationship be like between him and I later like would I ever go visit him Mm -hmm. would I check in when I when I talk to him and I'm like I don't really know like I have no ill will. he's really nice I have no ill will towards him but I don't necessarily feel any like real kinship towards them either.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've wondered that with my own dad. Like if my mom were, if my parents were not together, would I want to have any time with my dad? And mm-hmm. I, I don't think I would. And I don't think he would seek me out either. I mean, there's no way to know, but mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there is, there's there's no way to know right now because I'm not going to have that conversation, but Yeah. Yeah. And if you look at like Norval has lost one parent and so it's understandable that he would want to cling to his remaining parent in a way that makes sure he's never going to lose that relationship, even Mm -hmm. if it is kind of a maladaptive thing, you know, and he we don't really know much about the mom, which I actually really kind of like, you know, because it really focuses us on Norval um but she he does say that she's not doing well and i just wonder what that was like for her because i mean she lost a husband as well and was raising a child on her own um and it's just it's just hard you know
1: yeah i think that's interesting way of looking at it it's like the importance of parental emotional support can't be overstated mm-hmm he really doesn't feel like anyone will love him if his mother isn't like if he's not the sole focus of his mother's love mm-hmm. like ever like that equals apocalypse yeah you know and i think that there's there's something really interesting about that and and you know in, in every situation he's in he seeks he sort of desperately seeks approval like making up that elton john thing as funny Absolutely. as that is, <laughs> yeah. you know if you look at it in the larger context of his life like he doesn't have a a core of self-worth because no. his father left and he you know read that as like as many of us do in in similar circumstances there's something inherently unlovable about me. Mm-hmm. And you see that play out in what's revealed in this film. Yeah. yeah.
0: That scene hurt. Like I didn't laugh at that scene. Mm-hmm. That scene really hurt because like there's this undercurrent of All Norville wants to do in that moment is impress this person that Mm -hmm. walked out on him. And what he's trying to do is get like three decades worth of like parental approval mashed into this one story. And Gordo or Gordon, you know, his one talent is like seeing someone and sizing them up immediately Mm -hmm. and knowing exactly which screws to turn. They're going to like maximize the hurt for a person. And, you know, that occurs before the twist of the movie where you think that Gordon like is the dad.
2: Mm -hmm. And,
0: you know, it made me think about all the times like when kids are doing anything they can to get their parents' attention and to get their approval and just get them to say like, good job.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And my own dad was someone who like, wanted me to go into business and I loved writing and he's like I will pay for college but you can't be an English major I'll pay for college but you can't go into education Mm because you won't make enough money he was someone that like he's like you need to be able to provide for a family so I loved writing and there were times where he threw out my notebooks He was like, "Why, you know, this is a waste of time. Why are you doing this?" Like he thought he was doing the right thing. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I used to go to spoken word readings in the city of my college, and the woman who ran it was like, "Do you want me to call your dad and like talk to him about what this means to you?" I'm like, "That would go poorly. Trust me. Mm-hmm. Like that would not go. That would not go well." Before he passed away, there were a couple. Like one time where I really screwed up doing college radio and. Had to make an apology, and he heard it. He had come down for the parent visit. He's like, "Hey, I don't know what you did. You don't have to tell me if you don't want, but like, I think you learned your lesson from it. And you know what? You're you're a man now. You're gonna make mistakes. I'm not here to quit And that meant a lot.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But
0: like the last time I saw him before he went in for surgery, that he never recovered from. Like, I just bought him ice cream, and I think it was probably the first time like I ever paid for him. And we just like walked around my campus and talked. And he was just like, you know, happy mm-hmm. with how you turned out. Yeah. And I always like, I I have spent 27 years like wondering, like, because, you know, I do write. I mean, I'm fucking 10, 930 on a work night and I'm talking about movies. Like, mm-hmm. I've said this before. Like, I don't think my dad laid awake at night at age 46 going. Howling or American Werewolf? Like, what's the better werewolf movie? Like, that never would have entered his (laughs) vocabulary. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, would he be proud of me? Like, knowing what I do, like, I work in education, but I work with kids and I help people. And I know that was important to him. You know, I'm not going to be a millionaire. I'm not going to run a company, but I'm going to help a lot of people. And I'm my own man, but Mm -hmm. I often wonder, like, would he be proud of me? Would he have been proud of how I turned out? And I think I know the answer, but what really sucks is that, like, I'm never going to know the answer for sure.
3: Yeah.
1: I very much relate to that, Mike. I mean, having lost my dad in a similar kind of unexpected fashion, you know, there's certain conversations you don't get to have. And I like to think that when someone passes on, if there is any perception after death or what have you certain truths get revealed to you Mm -hmm. and the specifics like such as writing isn't valid or education is not lucrative enough or whatever gets stripped away and all that matters is what's in your heart you know Mm -hmm. and that sounds like a freaking hallmark card but i think that there's greater truths beyond the material realm you know yeah and yeah. uh, you know that if, if anything this last year has taught us is that we're really all connected and we're all kind of made from the same stuff yeah and all the bullshit gets stripped away at that point yeah whatever that looks like to you so i mean i of course he would be proud of you
2: mm-hmm.
1: just and, and i'm sort of talking to myself here because yeah. i have these same things you know my dad was a scientist and i was always better at write, writing and art and i think that i I'm drawn to medicine and psychology because mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a neuroscientist. I mean, after he died, I got this brain tattooed on my arm, you know, mm-hmm. and it represents light leaving the brain when you die. But it also is just like my way of was always my way of connecting to him was through mm-hmm. intellectual stuff was through talking to him and making him laugh because he was very not emotionally reactive. He was very withdrawn and depressed, you know, for mm-hmm. a lot of our life, you know, and, um, I think that, I mean, even doing this podcast and being drawn to psychology and neuroscience, those were some of the ways I connected with him because it was a side of science that I could really understand and sink my teeth into. Mm-hmm. And we would have wonderful conversations about it. And he would always teach me something interesting about the more like mechanical side of the brain mm-hmm. that I could then apply to a more emotive thing. And anyway, it's it's just, you no. know, our, our relationships with our parents really, really shape us.
3: They really do. That's been the biggest revelation when I started going to therapy because I started going because I had been in an abusive relationship. And then it, like, we still really haven't talked much about that. We've just been talking about my dad and just how much that really shapes who you become. And I have, I think a lot about whether my dad is proud of me. And I think he would say he is, but then he does things that, tell me the opposite. And so one of the struggles that I've had to kind of struggle through feel like I'm stumbling over words is like trying to tell myself I don't need that validation anymore, you know, because I just don't know whether he gives it to me or not is not about me and what I do. Like the thing I talked about in the stepfather, like he was mad at me cause I bought a house and he happened to not be happy and I was happy and he didn't want that. And so that like, I, I just like, I'm never going to figure out this magic code. And so I just have to like, am I proud of myself, you know? Mm-hmm. But
1: mm-hmm. yeah, I think just that, that need to seek validation. Yeah. If you ne- if you need it. Then they didn't give something to you that should have been given for free, right?
3: Yeah, and that's and the, we
1: have to be able to let that go, yeah, yeah, that's that's it,
3: yeah. One of the things I've been working on in therapy is um, I'm probably gonna butcher this, but um, kind of re parenting, you know, and like, mm-hmm. yeah, we
1: have my therapist talks about that too, yeah,
3: and I don't know a ton about like how formal it is we're doing, but she'll often ask me, What does young Jen need to hear right now, you know, and it just really makes me think of all the things that I didn't hear growing up and what I wanted to hear. And it makes me think about the things I want to tell my own kids. And, and it's kind of empowering in a way. It's like, I can give this validation to myself. You know, I can, Mm -hmm. I can, as much as I would love to have like some moments with my dad that I feel like we've had in the past. Um, I just don't, I, I I've had to kind of let go of the fact that that might not ever happen again. No. You know. Yeah, and there's this moment, the image that I use is this image from Gerald's game where old Jesse is sitting on a park bench with young Jesse and just they're just kind of sitting next to each other. And so whenever I need to kind of
1: I love that moment. It's it's so sweet. So beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so
3: I saved that picture on my phone and sometimes I just look at it. But but that's what he's needing in this Elton John moment. It's like he's simultaneously wanting to say, "See, dad, I did it in spite of the fact that you weren't there." And also, yeah. "Look what I look how I turned out. Aren't you proud of me?" You Know, and it's just kind of this heartbreaking moment. And you can tell when this is the strength of Elijah Wood's performance. You can tell when he flips into the bullshit mode, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I even wrote in my notes, totally. I was like, that's not real. I don't think. Yeah.
1: You know, it's that that scene shifts like Tessa makes such a stark emotional shift because it does, in my opinion, start out funny where he's like, am I am I a DJ? Yes. Do I produce blazing beats? Yes. And then he's doing this like smarmy mustache thing. And and it's like, oh, we all know. We all know that guy and he's insufferable. Uh And is all and, and we, you know, but then. Like all of that bullshit gets immediately stripped away. By Stephen McCaddy just being like a total prick about it. And like, but then you really just see how wounded and vulnerable he mm-hmm. is. And it's like, it's such a stark shift. It's it's really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's like I got I just got goosebumps thinking about it because it's like I don't know, it's just brilliant, it's really good writing and it's two really amazing performances. Yeah.
0: yeah. Just think of who you have to be as Norville. That you get this letter out of the blue from a parent that you haven't seen or even heard from in, like, 25 years. And the next thing you do is, like, hop on a bus, traverse through the woods, climb over rocky beaches.
1: He loses his hat.
0: Loses his hat. Loses
1: his huge, huge hat. Can't be a pilgrim anymore. And then you're like, sorry, go
0: ahead. And then you're like, (laughs) I have to meet this man. Mm -hmm. And there's no, and there's not, like, any impetus given for the meets. Like, just come see me. And then, when you meet this person you think is your dad, and he is like the antithesis of what you would want as a parent, and he ruins your <laughs> oh solid goad phone where there's only 20 of them made. <laughs> and the dad's like, There's only 20 of these made in the world. And Gordon's like, Well, now there's 19. You know, like there's never even a like, oops, sorry about that. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Just like stone cold psycho. Like. Right.
0: And you stay.
1: Yes. Yeah. So many times it's, I was like leave, leave. You you got
3: here that says everything
1: leave. about him. Mm-hmm. Like he would he would have gone through three times the hell to get there and nothing would make him leave short of literally getting killed with a meat cleaver. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And that was a, a kind of a revelatory thing when I was watching this movie is I kept saying this is when you go. This is when you go because there are several moments that just really really activated a lot of anger I had. And it's but I'm also like I have not had that conversation with my dad like I think it was showing me what I really want to do is just not talk to my dad anymore until Mm -hmm. like well I want to say until you apologize I'm not talking to you. But it's so hard to do when it's you. And it's so easy for me to say, Norval, leave. But like, I think about what I would do. Like, I've got this this image in my head of this, like, getting a present, a a specific present on Christmas morning that would really, really trigger me and thinking about what would I do? Would I actually get up and leave? Would I deal with the collateral damage of all of that? And I just don't know because it's just, it's just hard, you know?
1: Yeah, it's always easier to watch someone else and comment on their behavior. Yeah. It's always different when it's you.
3: Yeah. And
1: <sighs> to that that point, when when Norval, this is something I, and this kind of straddles a conversation about Norval and a conversation about Norval's real dad, Brian. And this is, I guess, kind of what made me a little uncomfortable because I wasn't sure what to do with it, is, I mean, let's take a look at, at Norval's real dad. He... Accidentally, I mean, it's a little unclear if he accidentally or intentionally brings Norval into this. What is a very violent situation? I'm I'm thinking it was unintentional, but he didn't really think it through. Like, yeah. oh, these guys are after me. I just went off with their money. Maybe I shouldn't bring him to this isolated location. But you know, he he brings him into it, and it kind of becomes a perverse, delayed coming of age ritual mm-hmm. where he ends up encouraging Norval to kill in order to get out of this situation. So, like, I get it, but Mm -hmm. still, this is how Norval learns to kind of, like, stand up for himself, and when he does commit these acts of violence, it it becomes the nut-slashing, saran-wrapping fight of the season, you know? It's like, oh, shit, there was a lot in there that was waiting to be uncorked, Mm -hmm. and... I I just wrote in my notes violence equals manhood question mark question mark question mark and I don't I think that there's like he's he's so that the need to impress continues with yeah I don't think he wants to kill anyone I think but like he when he when he unleashes all of this energy it's just so violent and and he's going to have to live the rest of his life with all these memories of what he's, what he's done, whether, I mean, you could argue in all these cases, like it was self-defense or, you know, these guys were not like, you know, know, but I mean, for somebody as sensitive and hurt as, as Norville, I mean, this is not going to be an easy thing to cope with. Mm -hmm. It's fucked up. Like the whole thing is fucked up. (laughs) Well,
0: I think what's fascinating too, is there's the scene with Gordon where Gordon comes at him, like with the meat cleaver Mm -hmm. and, at that point, like Norval is so passive, like I don't think he would fight back. I think he would actually get killed mm-hmm. in that moment.
2: Mm-hmm. What
0: changes between that moment and Norval fighting for himself is he has that really cathartic speech with Gordon's corpse when he yes. still thinks it's his dad. And he's able to get out decades worth of like pent up, it's like the empty chair theory. Mm hmm. Except instead of an empty chair in a safe counseling room, it's your dad's corpse.
1: I thought you meant the empty chair with Obama in it. (laughs) Oh,
0: God, yeah. (laughs) A little topical humor, a little
1: timely topical humor for you. Um, Go on, I'm sorry.
0: That's all right. But he's able to get out, like, years worth of, like, pent-up rage and frustration. And from that moment on, like even though there are still moments when he's reluctant, like he can get it done. Like Mm -hmm. he at least tries to attack Jethro. And it's kind of like when you're learning to ride a bike, you have training wheels and you're still wobbly. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. like that first attack on Jethro is him being wobbly on the bike,
2: Mm -hmm. you know,
0: and then him breaking his dad's fingers is basically him being like, all right, I've got the training wheel thing down a little more secure feeling it at this point. Mm Got to, you know, Break a man's hand sometimes to get rolling, and then by the time he's like, you know, like stabbing Dandy in the nuts, he's like, "I can do this." Like, look, Dad, you know, I can ride this bike. Don't you, Dad? I'm a big boy now. Slash, slash, it's almost like he's had a
3: deeply buried channel of being able to ride a bike, just seething underneath him for years and years, and he's finally allowed that riding a bike ability to become manifest. I've
1: never seen. seen someone ride so angry. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ride hard but it's, what I but ride it's, hard. Yeah.
0: Ride hard, put away wet. Um mm-hmm. but he's definitely what? a lot I don't know. It's a it's horse a, thing, I that's, think. It's a horse thing. Um I hate it. He um, <laughs> That could be the tagline of this show: Psychoanalysis, <laughs> a horror therapy podcast. I hate it.
1: Right. Um, <laughs> it. Oh no, so, no! I thought you were going to say a horror therapy podcast. Ride hard, put away. <laughs> that right? could
0: be it too. That could be another mug.
1: Tears. It's wet with tears.
0: <laughs> but like he's really like he gets out, and I know for me it was like I when I was in high school I started the wrestle, and something happened with my dad, and I it was like, oh, I still to this day, aside from my wedding ring. I don't wear any jewelry because like my dad had this thing where like, you lost my watch. And I'm like, I don't even like to wear your fucking watch. He's like, you lost my watch. Tell the truth. And I'm like, I didn't lose your watch. And he came at me. And by that time I'm like a junior in high school. I'm a varsity wrestler. I'm bigger than him. I'm pretty muscular at the time. And I'm like, Nope, this ain't happening anymore. And I proceeded to like, treat him like it was like practice it just mm-hmm. tossed him tossed him around so my mom pulled me off him
3: really and i
0: yeah you know could have really hurt him if i wanted to but it was almost like a game i'm like there's like look at you little man there's like nothing you can do to me
1: and sometimes people do need to be put in their place that way and i mean
0: from that point on i mean it was only 4 <laughs> years after that but he never put a hand on me again and it definitely like changed something in the relationship like it was a real cathartic moment yeah, so, yeah, there's something to have. Like, I was watching this movie and screaming at Norval at times, like, just fucking hit him. Like, when Gordon was coming out oh, yeah. and kind of pushing him around, I'm like, just, and I'm not a violent person by nature, but I'm like, you know, and I'll say this, like, and if anyone in my school uh, co-workers are listening, I know we have anti-bullying programs and talk it out, and what really stops bullying is punching the bully as hard as you can in the fucking mouth. <laughs> that person usually I, stops being a bully at that point.
1: I can attest to this, and I think I think this is part of what I'm struggling to unpack with this, is I was, I was bullied. I ended up, I mean, this is why I like Cobra Kai so much and why I, re- I relate to Hawk, but also was so hard on him as a character at certain points in the series, is like, I know that feeling so well, and I have a really strong temper and i don't like when people shit on me and like and i did f- figure out at some point that like physically attacking the person who is who's is harassing me like works you know of course i was a like 12 year old girl so we're talking like me like clawing them with my nails and like like throwing elbows mm-hmm. and being like like a horrible little child you know but like nevertheless it does make a difference you know and um is that is that good though is that, I mean, I, I was sort of like unpacking these things, you know, and I, I did get a lot of confidence and self-discipline out of doing martial arts. However, I took Krav Maga, which is all about self-defense and has, it's more closer, far closer to Cobra Kai than it is to to uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi. I, I'm getting lost in, in Karate Kid <laughs> references now. In oh. this movie, is this a good way for Norval to grow it, to come into confidence for himself. I think it's when you're watching it, you're viscerally like, yeah, Norval, Mm -hmm. like fuck him up. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with like a Tarantino and glorious bastards. I love the end of death proof, you know, but I'm like, I'm examining that a little bit. Like the violence equals manhood thing. I think that's an idea that's so, so tasty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so, and so coded into us through, through everything. Mm -hmm. And it's it, it's something there's very something very primal about that. And I, I but I'm also like, is that actually good? Like, <laughs> I, I'm, re- I'm thinking of like these stories from The Body Keeps the Score, the book on trauma and about mm-hmm. like Vietnam vets and how it's like a very common thing for like when a, a, someone in war Sees a bunch of their fellow soldiers get killed. They go and take like revenge killings on like mm-hmm. innocent people and on like villages and and to commit war atrocities because you're yeah. in the heat of the moment. You're like, and I'm I'm just thinking about all these things kind of swirling in my head together. And maybe this is way too much to put on this poor movie's shoulders. But I'm like, I don't know. I guess that's what makes me uncomfortable about it. I'm like, on one part part of me is like, fuck yeah, normal. Kick their ass, yeah. and another part of me is like, this is not healthy. Yeah.
0: I can sense that. I think there's like a difference between violence against your oppressors and violence um just for catharsis' sake or violence for the sake of dominance. Yes. When I watch the end of this movie, like don't get the feeling that there's like a fundamental change in Norval's personality. Like, I don't see him going home to mom being like fuck you mom for not telling me about my real dad Uh, and then beating the bag out of mom like I don't see someone getting Norval's coffee order wrong and him throwing a hot coffee in a barista's face or him being like a macho aggressor but I do see him like handling himself differently and maybe having some of that confidence because everybody he attacks in this movie is a person that is attacking him
1: He's mm-hmm. literally trying to kill him.
3: Yes. Yeah. Right. Fair. So there's yeah. Like- yeah, that and that's something that I was talking about today um, in therapy is that trying to figure out how to handle all of this. And we've talked a lot in my therapy about the drama triangle, whereas there's like the three points are good guy, bad guy and victim. And, or like hero, villain, victim. And they, and you Mm -hmm. switch your roles a lot. And I think about the way that I've related to my dad and I keep trying, because I have these fantasies of like telling him off and like yelling and he's never been physical, physically violent with me. Um, So that's never been something I've really had to defend myself with. It's always like words and just being cruel and like withholding things. And so I've thought, well, how could I hurt him back? And when, and the thing that I was, I'm was, i kind of inching my way to is I just don't want to be part of that triangle anymore, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what I think is going to help me is that. And I don't know how that really relates to Norval, except that like it's just... I don't know. And I could see, like I've grown up with my dad my entire life. Like it's not that he's ever been this big presence because Norville shows up and finds out what it is. Like he doesn't know. And I wonder what it right. is that he wants, like what, it, what he thinks he's going to get. And does he want to show up and just scream at his dad? And does he want to show up and get approval? And I imagine it's a big bag of both, you know,
1: I think what, Really tugged at my heartstrings was ending the movie with that shot of it's almost felt like a vintage camera shot of him running up to his dad as a little boy and he drops the tiger toy and yeah. then you're like oh well, that's why there's tigers everywhere but then like his dad just picks him up and swings him around and it sort of like ends on this beat of like incredible innocence and that's all he wants is he wants to recreate that feeling yeah oh, I'm gonna it's gonna make me <laughs> want to cry mm-hmm. it's like that law lo- that lost. Moment of pure childhood love and being mm-hmm. swept swept up in someone someone's arms and protected. Mm-hmm. Sorry, it's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know. It just gets to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's
3: really. Did you notice the sweater that he's wearing? The sweater that his dad was wearing. You know,
1: I didn't notice that. That's really not. cute. It's
3: yeah, the sweater that Norville is in in the end is the sweater that his dad is wearing in the video at the very end Mm -hmm. it is really and then you think like because he's got this tiger that he's playing with and you see like tiger motifs throughout his house you know
1: Mm -hmm. even the bag that blows into his face the grocery bag Mm -hmm. has like a tiger on it yeah yeah and it's
3: like I was the first time I watched this I was really mad at Brian the real dad um Mm
1: -hmm. for a lot
3: of reasons that I think are justified but I think in the second time I watched it I pitied him a lot more.
1: Yeah. I mean, because he's kind of had a horrible life and mm-hmm. also, and he's, and just ends up dead on a beach, you know? Yeah. yeah.
0: Brian is complicated because, you know, on one hand, he left his wife and his son and went adventuring. And, you know, you don't really get the full circle. Cert- I mean, like, there are illusions that, you know, Norval's mom was kind of like, you could almost wonder if, like, if Brian is actually the dad himself, Mm -hmm. um, it seems like she was part of this group and, you know, like part of the group in very physical, intimate ways. Mm
2: -hmm. But at the
0: same time, like I think there was always that sense of guilt that Brian carried with him. Like I get to live my best life by doing crime. Mm -hmm. And we, I talked a little bit about this, like not quite on this level, but just because like you can send your, kid like a ton of money and give them a lavish lifestyle so they never want for anything well they may not want for any like physical comforts but like all the physical comforts in the world won't like tuck you into bed and check in the closet when there's a monster in the closet Mm -hmm. you know right
1: that i mean as you see with normal like if you don't if you just have financial support and don't Mm -hmm. have any emotional support you you grow, you get fucked up. You yeah. know, it's not good for you. Yeah. It's not good for the soul.
0: Yeah. And again, this is not an argument being like every kid needs a dad and a mom. Like that's not the argument. No,
1: God, no. We're that's not, here. no. Yeah. Because
0: inevitably, like somebody will say, like, that's the heteronormative argument Right. that you will make. And it's like, no, it's like what you, the parents you do have need to be present and involved and engaged and active right. yeah. in your life. Right.
3: And it's like if he had never known that his dad existed or if he existed in theory, it probably would have been a different situation. But knowing that this person in your life chose to leave is different than that person just never being there you know exactly and
1: that's the narrative that you get then the narrative is one of being left behind Mm -hmm. and you and he knew him briefly and then he was gone yeah you know like that will always leave a wound Mm -hmm. and that's that would go for any parent whether whatever their gender expression was or whatever their role in your life was if they were a parental figure
3: Mm -hmm.
1: and then they're suddenly gone that leaves a wound Mm -hmm.
3: And the question that he wants to ask him is, why did you write the letter? And it just, it breaks my heart that he never gets an answer. I know. But I also don't know if the, if there is an answer, because I feel like that question really reveals another question, which is why do I need to know this, you know, or why do I, why did you leave really? Cause it's not, why did you write the letter? It's why now, you know, why mm-hmm. not all of the years before this, you know? And
1: like so it's, what do I mean to you? It's yep. who am I to you? Who are you to me? It's, it's every question is left, is embedded in that question. All the conversations he never got to have mm-hmm. with his father and yeah, all the love he craved from him.
0: You also wonder with Brian, like, he's on, on the receiving end of an incredible amount of violence at the, you know, and there's that reveal, like, who are these guys? It's like, oh, that's my best friend.
3: Right. <laughs> I know.
0: Which that's such a fucked up moment. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Let's say it was like Jethro that had been the one to steal the last score and kind of abscond to his palatial UFO-shaped estate. <laughs> like, would Brian be the one with the flamethrower on the front deck? you know, promising to bring down swift vengeance at that point. Like, would was that part of Brian's personality as well? Because you kind of are the company you keep, you know? Like, it's not like he got unwillingly sucked into this triumvirate, right. you know? Like, no, mm-hmm. he was a willing partner in crime.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I mean, he didn't need to send money to his son and the mother of his child. So that says something about him. I don't think mm-hmm. I can't imagine Jethro or Gordon doing that for anyone, even if they knew they mm-hmm. had fathered a child, like mm-hmm. I, they'd be like, fuck them, you know, who knows? But I, I think that it's meant to be understood that Brian has a little bit more of humanity, mm-hmm. some tickling oh. in his balls somewhere, yeah. just kicking around in there, just the littlest spark. <laughs> yeah.
3: From what we learn about Jethro, it's possible that Jethro actually is Norval's father. Like mm-hmm. we learn there the, yeah. The, like I feel like the the conception time, like there's a little there's a lot of play going on at that time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and that's when like when I look at this movie, like because I want to talk about I want to keep talking about Brian, but at some point I want to talk about um, reading Gordon as his father too, because I feel like that's kind of, he could be, and a lot of it is, it's not necessarily who his father is. It's the absence of that father that I think really informs so much of Norval's character. And it's like, we see these two different versions of what, what he could have and how that still, I don't know. I don't, it still leaves him like dying on a beach at the end, you know?
1: Well, it's, To me, it's like you know, like to your point, any of them could have been the father, but uh, Brian was the one who took the time to play with Norval as a child, who ended up in that photo album, who seemed to have some affection for the mother Mm -hmm. that you know that led to that bond because you know to some degree they he chose to identify as his father, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and um, he was kind to him when he was a little boy, and then he took the time to send them money. So he is his father, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but so I think that that answers the question of would Brian be the one on the beach with the flaming crossbow? Yeah. I don't. I don't think he would have been. Yeah,
0: Gordon is fascinating because he knows who Norville is. Like he knows it's his friend's son. Mm-hmm. He knows it's his the friend who is chained up in the basement being tortured, and the easy play there would to be just lure him in and kill him and dispose of the body. Like that's mm-hmm. the smart and easy thing to do. And that's the ultimate play is, you know, if Norval, if Gordon doesn't have the heart attack, he's going to eventually kill Norval. Mm-hmm.
2: But what he mm-hmm. does,
0: which is like so obscene, he keeps him there for like three days for no other reason, except to commit like psychological terrorism on him. Mm-hmm. Um He knows the buttons to push. Like, Gordo is the embodiment of every dad that has driven one of my clients to my office to seek therapy. Mm -hmm. Like, he exists in some way, shape, or form like that not only wave of parental disappointment, but the kind of, like, sadistic glee that some parents take in blaming their children for the way their lives turned out. So Uh they, and we talked about children as property, Mm -hmm. you're mine, you're my property, I can do with you whatever I want.
3: And really rub your nose in it too. Yeah. You know, Gordon keeps pushing and pushing and pushing here and it's just to be a dick and it's just to reveal that he is dominant over Norval, you know, just, just to have that power. All right. That's, that's Mm -hmm. one of the, the times where I got really Mm -hmm. angry. I, yeah, I, I wrote in the uh, my notes, fuck you, dad, a lot of times yeah. at the beginning of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's no need to do that. And that's one of the things that I keep talking a lot in therapy about is that, like, I am the kid – and he is the dad. Norval is the child, and should not be expected to show up and know how to kill all of these people, and suddenly become James Vaughn and break him out of this basement full of these tortures. And it's like there's no guidance there. There's no like, here's what you do, son. There's really no connect, like father-son connection, really until the end. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, hey, you're here. I didn't think you would come. No, like, thank you for rescuing me. You know, it's that. That's when I started to question how I felt about Brian. And I read it for no. the first the for uh, the first time I watched it, I read it as like, oh, he wrote this letter to Norville to get him to come and rescue him from this situation. And I don't think he did because I think logistically, yeah. when we hear the letter at the end, I don't think that makes sense. But I was like, he he's not being a parent here. He's just wanting right. to assuage whatever kind of guilt he's feeling and he doesn't seem to be concerned with how any of this affects Norval, you know?
1: I think that was bothering me too. It's like I get it, like you're it's a life or death situation, and you see this as your only lifeline. But it's also like, god damn it, like yeah, do you not really, like, At least say you're sorry like several times while it's happening. Like I'm really sorry to do this to you. This isn't how I wanted this to play out. But could you kill that guy? Right, like you know, like because otherwise we're both fucked. Like yeah. you know, I'll make it up to you later. Nothing. It's just kind of like just kill the guy. And I and I get like he doesn't have these social skills as a character. But like, right. I was like fucking, like god damn it, man. Like
0: yeah. this um, sucks. On the positive side of those interactions, though, he places a lot of trust in Norval. Mm-hmm. He offers a lot of positive reinforcement and encouragement as Norval is like stabbing a dude in the crotch and then beating him to death with saran wrap. Like mm-hmm. Brian is totally like the Little League dad, the model Little League dad that is <laughs> like, way to swing the saran wrap, son, you know, like He tells Norval, like, look, what you have to do is like hide in the trunk of Lad's, of of Jethro's car. And then wherever he goes, you're going to surprise him and kill him. He gives him that kind of like fatherly pep talk that every kid wants deep down. Now, (laughs) it may not be because you want to like stab a man to death and leave him bleeding in a seedy swingers motel room, but I'd like to think that it if it was just lower stakes, like you're, you know, on the first string of your soccer game this week, and I think you've got a goal in you. I think Brian had that talk in him.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. Is he, <laughs> and that's why I wrote it was like a perverse coming of age, you know, story uh, but with a man in his mid thirties. I think you could see it both ways. I think you could read it as, uh, as, Dad doing his best to give his son a little bit of confidence mm-hmm. in a not ideal circumstance,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you can read it as a man who is incredibly disappointing.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and, and like the end, I think now that we're talking about it, I think there's a way to real read the ending that not that he couldn't answer, but that he just doesn't. You know, like because he's dying. Yeah. Or just because he doesn't know what to say. Like, he's also somebody who left his child for 25 years. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he just wouldn't answer that question because I don't know what the answer is, you know?
0: His last gesture, like the last shot of the movie, is him slowly moving his hand to just like encircle like his son's hand. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I'd like to think that that gesture means more than any verbal answer that he could possibly give his son. Like, you know, I think that that gesture of like trying to like reach for him says like, at the end of the day, like I wrote you that letter because I just needed you here. Yeah. Like right. I needed to see my son one more time. Like that's really, and that last thing he does before he leaves the earth is like reaches for his son.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Not to get, I'm going to start. Again.
1: I, I was making me cry. I know <laughs> it makes me really sad. No. I guess like I didn't even realize how much there was to unpack no. in this one until no. we started talking it out, and then it's like, no. God damn, like that and, is really packs a punch. And like, and
0: this is a movie where a dude gets like stabbed with, with a shitty a, pen, <laughs> with, a shitty, with a pen covered in excrement,
3: excrement. Another dude,
0: excrement, excrement. That's right. Where there is like a swingers orgy at a seedy motel room, where (laughs) with a guy
1: that says there's a bunch of flabby sex people and they're doing whatever they do, (laughs) that line cracked me up.
0: And where you have like a sex worker whose specialty is like putting men in headlocks and like squeezing the life out of them. Like, this is not a movie. I love her, by the way. Oh, she's fantastic. More than a little (laughs) curious. I'm like, where did I find that service? (laughs) There's a lot of fun, like I don't, I, you know, like we're getting weepy because we're digging through the emotional, yeah. right, emotional fields here, but there's a lot of fun shit to be found in this movie. Like that it's... kill with like the letter opener Ooh. and the exposed brain and it's so understated that you yeah. almost have like, did I just, and the way did it's framed, happened? it's a middle of like a down empty street. like downtown east bumfuck wherever
1: Mm -hmm. and it's
0: just it's so perfect
1: yeah this is making me appreciate this movie on another level because it 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 is such you can you could you know see it take it as a zany action movie with some like dramatic family elements and walk away from it or you could stop to think about it and have your heart broken Mm -hmm. like that is a special movie
3: it really is yeah and I think um, it it like we all have wildly different lives and some of them may or might not include pens that have poo on them, you know, and Mm -hmm. some of them might just be like little tiger stuffed animals. But I think like, Deep down, we all really just want to know that somebody who loves us no matter what we do, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's that's I think what Norval really wants is he just wants that because I don't know if there is an answer that's going to make up for all of the the 25 years of days that he needs apologies for, you know, but that like Mm -hmm. that wanting to reach out is like, okay, maybe we can start thinking about this again. But yeah, that moment when he stabs the dude in the nuts, I was like, holy shit,
1: what is yeah. going I mean, yeah, on th- that was here? the one where I'm like, Jesus fucking Christ, and like Oh yeah. my god, and the saran wrap too. And there's Frodo. another one, So Frodo. gross. I know. <laughs> it's like seeing his one tooth jutting out as he's like wrapping uh, the saran wrap, and he's mm-hmm. like that zoom in on his mouth, and then like all the blood under the saran wrap as he's beating him. And I'm just like, oh like it's 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 really great mm-hmm. violence. You know, I enjoy over-the-top violence, i so like, man, this delivers. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, and it's like, it's I think, cartoonish. It
1: is. It is. Yeah. And, and it's literally overkill,
3: you know, because the <laughs> yeah. saran rap alone, I think is enough, you know, especially after you just basically stabbed that dude's nuts a billion times. Yeah. But yeah, and I think we mentioned that earlier. It's like once, there's also the moment where he's breaking his fingers or dislocating his fingers. And he's like, I left you for 25 years. You get to break my finger now. Do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And Uh it's like this, like, I feel like Norval is so tightly restrained, especially the whole time he's there. Like he doesn't want to let his dad know how upset he is because that might push him away again, you know? Or how much he needs, like how much validation I need now. And it's like when he has those moments to kind of let the door open just a little bit. It's like then he has beat this guy's head in with with a, a, right. a saran wrap tube, you know. Right. Like imagine the force. Is- exactly. Like how You're much right. is in there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the ways, like the the thing that really really affected me in this movie. And part of why I think the turn was hard for me is the moment where he starts drinking the wine again, you know, Mm -hmm. and that as, as a a recovering alcoholic, that was a, a really hard moment for me to watch. And I, I wrote in my notes, like, that's the night that has, that haunts me. You know, that's what I think, Like I would call the coroner and be super inappropriate. Like I would try, I would, because it's like, that's a way to let that out. You know, that's, it's like, that's like the first stab in the nuts. And then all of a sudden it's like, and you can see it on his face. It's like, it's such a considered first drink and he smells it. And he's like, am I going to do this? I'm going to do this. And then he does take that first sip and then he just downs the wine. And it's like, he's finally letting go, you know?
0: Yeah. The coroner is fascinating to me because she represents something that it's been on my mind lately. Like there was, I forget where I was reading this, but a woman had posted how just by showing like men kindness, sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels like an open invitation to be hit on Mm -hmm. because like men are, we're, we're to a certain extent, big, dumb animals and we're conditioned in a way we think anyone that shows us kindness, like wants something from us. And when a woman shows us kindness it's because they're attracted to us mm-hmm. in a sexual way. And I remember when that they have their meet, and she's like, Oh, you have really kind eyes. And you immediately start to go in a direction where you're like, I want, is this going to be the romantic interest? Cause you're also conditioned like that's how movies were, you know, right. they're often going to be. And I thought like, what was really wonderful was how, she wasn't that, you know, she was going through her own grief and mm-hmm. she was trying to share what she had learned, how to get mm-hmm. through it. Cause she was being like a decent human being to a stranger that needed kindness in that moment. Mm-hmm. And her reward right. for that is getting woken up out of a deep sleep in the middle of the night during a time that sounds incredibly stressful because like, there's apparently like a lot of dead bodies in this town that yeah. she needs to <laughs> take care of at the moment. Like, I mean, look, that swinger convention, like there must have been some people maybe
1: <laughs> It's geology. Okay. So yeah,
0: you get I, some I, heart attacks just zoom at out the swinger orgy. Yeah. And she's like
1: See see what's going on yeah. in that town altogether. Yeah. yeah. And she's just
0: like, so my reward for being nice to this guy is him calling me in a drunken stupor, hitting on me at like fucking early o'clock in the fucking morning. Mm-hmm. And she's like adamant, like, I am not into this. Like you need to get gone. Yeah, Um, I just found that like a really and it's played for laughs, but it's also like, man, it's really telling about how Uh our lizard brains work.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I've been on the other side of that a lot, like because I tend to try to be really nice to people Mm -hmm. and I'm just somebody that like wants to provide kindness like I it's just something I do. We could unpack that at a later time. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I've gotten a lot of unwanted attention from randos because of that.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like she almost has a sign off that sounds like a voicemail at the very end. She's like, please don't call me during business hours. Thank you. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. and she's it's, trying to make it very clear. <laughs> yeah. But it also it felt like that smiley face at the end of your email, you know, like mm-hmm. just so you know, I'm not mad at you. This is just my boundary, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, what I'm about to say is probably going to sound like I'm excusing what Norval does because you are completely right. She does not deserve that. It is totally inappropriate for him to call. But I read that as less him wanting romantic inter- a romantic relationship with her and more he wants companionship, you know, and she mm-hmm. gave him kindness and he wants more of that kindness. Yeah. And the way he knows how to get it is to like creep on her, you know? Well,
0: he's, he's negotiating down. Like it starts with like, <laughs>
3: yeah.
2: how about
0: you and me? you know, how about you and me take a trip to like Pound Town? And then it's like, (laughs) nope, don't want that. Sorry I use that phrase, listeners. (laughs) Uh, So I love phrases like that. That's actually
1: the name of the town that they're in. It is. Pound Pound Town. Town. Excellent. Pound Town Um, with the morgue that's too full.
0: Right. It's like, well, we can cuddle. We can make Our morgue is full. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: It's full of like dead swingers. It's just.
1: Yeah. Our morgue is full and also our motel. Sorry, I didn't. I kind of. (laughs) just did not land that delivery that's a motel
0: motel <laughs> that fucking motel clerk has seen some shit man
1: yeah that whole sequence is so funny and weird and uncomfortable i don't know i just believe that motel clerk exists like 100% oh, yeah. like i've we've all like encountered mm-hmm. somebody for me it was a video a store a, a video store clerk who used to just like corner you with recommendations that always turned into porn movies that you should watch Mm-hmm. Mm lovely it's
0: that guy he i don't know why but there's an author max booth the third at give me your teeth on twitter he writes some pretty out there horror novels the one i would recommend is the nightly disease it's an exaggerated like supernatural novel about his coming and goings like working at like a uh, random motel or hotel in texas and mm-hmm. like he's got a ton of great stories about like the asshole customers that come in and out of there so mm-hmm. for whatever reason i just pictured that clerk as like uh, uh, max booth III, who we should reach out to at some point and have on the show
3: yeah well, well hey max stuff. if you're listening you yes. know and tell us what you've you seen <laughs> right <laughs> i've seen some shit yeah, that was one of the, the moments that I did really enjoy. And sometimes, like, quirky with exclamation points all over the place, like, really kind of bugs me. Um, mm-hmm. This is a moment where I think it really worked. It was like, this is yeah. a, a cute, like, line delivery, and I'm into it. Even though he's saying things that I find really <laughs> gross, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, to that point, I'll say like there's lots of things that attempt this kind of tone Uh and fail miserably, or feel like they're trying way too hard, and it's just like cringe, cringe cringeworthy. Jim Jarmusch, what? (laughs) Right, you know, for uh, somehow in this movie, a lot of things that I would find unforgivable in uh, in like lesser properties just all work together really well yeah. and it's can't imitate it it just happens or it doesn't and I feel like it's
3: because it doesn't really overplay its hand in a lot of ways mm-hmm. it's like I'm going to let this yeah. be quiet and quirky like the way Elijah Woods says that this lady has large bosoms I will say <laughs> is mm-hmm. that let's just say if she were shopping for bras it would be in the double D section and I kept expecting <laughs> some like outlandish
1: like descriptor you know and it was just mm-hmm. it's just totally. very like perfunct and I how would this character say this in a way where he's trying to be like creepy dude relatable but has no idea how to go about it right like uh uh double d it's
3: it's so funny it is yeah and it's just like this i feel like this movie just kind of knows what it is and it's like i'm just gonna be this thing you know Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. i really respect that even in the moments that it doesn't work i respect that it's not like beating me over the head with the fact that it's not working for me you know
1: or with a tube of Saran wrap. True.
3: Rim. Yes. <laughs> there's a
0: there's a self-assuredness to the direction and performances in this movie that lends it to a step above. Like I mentioned those like movies in the 90s, and all of those movies felt like they were trying way too hard. Like, mm-hmm. "Hey, look at me. I can do this thing." It's like the And again, like I at the time like really enjoyed some of those movies to a great degree. I don't know if I were to go back and watch them again, I think they would land a lot differently. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Like there was a lot of early 2000s stuff is like that yeah. too. Like the garden state era and everything, oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like that kind of like nauseating, like quirky, quirky, quirky. Mm-hmm. I'm so yeah. quirky. Let's put, uh, let's frame everything like a right. second rate Wes Anderson, you know? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um. <sighs> The SNL, uh, Anderson.
3: Wes Anderson writes a horror movie, is very funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I never saw that. And
3: basically, just,
0: the
1: dead don't die,
3: you know? No. Like, yeah. There you go. I love you, um, Adam.
0: I'll Brown, get into so. it when we do our, our uplifting moment shortly. But
3: Okay. Well, okay. And so, because I think we're probably kind of nearing the end, I want to, th- did you notice that he's reading the Celestine Prophecy? Do you all know what that
0: is? I have no idea. I, I
3: don't. Okay, so I was in a book club and I've mentioned that my evil book club with just a bunch of mean girls and The Celesteam mm-hmm. Prophecy was the first book that they recommended that we read and it is bonkers. Okay, so it's like it's like the self-help book. It's like if you take The Secret and The Da Vinci Code and Scientology and, um, gosh, there's another one that I'm thinking of and mix them all in. Oh, and what dreams may come like, take all of those things and mix them together and come up with a book. That's going to tell you how to live your life. And that's what the Celestine prophecy is. And it is, sounds awful. it's bananas. Yeah. There are parts I of it that I kind of like, like there's, it's this, got this interesting interpretation of energy, which I appreciate, but it's just so weird i was like why is it this book and i was trying to figure out well it's interesting
1: that he like tosses it aside really aggressively because maybe he was like i'll grab this and try to ground myself like he's doing his breathing and stuff Mm -hmm. like it's probably a guy that turns to self-help type stuff all the time yeah and in that moment he's just like this dude just died fuck this shit i'm throwing it across the room yeah Yeah.
3: searching for the answers he never got from his father
1: from daddy
3: daddy but it's just so weird and it's like one of the few times i've ever seen anybody mention that book
0: and you know mm-hmm. and
3: hey listeners if you love the celestine prophecy i'm sorry
1: <laughs> it's i don't think <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, i'm sorry it's
0: not as good of a reference as evil dead 2, a farewell to arms <laughs> being referenced so yeah
3: yeah or if it were just the secret you know as i read the secret okay. too and you know. But I think it's like maybe maybe it's like looking for these answers and the kind of one of the driving forces is that you can control your energy and your energy mm-hmm. will help ha- help you like transcend your mm-hmm. present situation, which I guess like a way of kind of channeling all of these emotions in a positive way without letting yourself feel the sadness and feel the mm-hmm. the, the pain, which is just something that you really can't escape. Because
1: which is my issue with a lot of self-help stuff. No. Is like, exactly. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's like you gotta take what you can from it and know that this is not really going to change your life. It might give you some tools to make your life better, you know? Ah <sighs> well, is there anything else that we want to mention? I've got one more thing. Jethro, when he's asking, do you have any messages for your mother? And I wrote this in my notes because I thought, I don't know why it made me laugh so hard. But he says, no, I'm going to specifically tell her that you don't love her. I love that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> just, like, just like the ultimate dick move. I know. Yeah. Like,
3: yeah. Oh, Jethro. You know.
1: Oh, Jethro. We can have a spinoff show of Jethro. Yeah.
3: Just I, no more pooping. I don't, I don't need that anymore. Also, I wonder if that's what he's, the dad did die from. You know, <laughs> septic shock. Mm. I was like he's got this whole. Now like that thing. you mention it, <laughs> I don't know how deadly of a weapon that actually would be. Oh. I don't know.
1: If left, if left untreated, well, we can or... have a different. We can have a medical coroner. It's yeah, yeah. I
3: guess it depends on what jether has been eating, too. You know. So
0: he looks like he eats a lot of Taco Bell.
1: Yes. Yeah, I I would not want to have it if. <laughs> and he That's also Trent. said the thing about his se- his semen being yellow. Yeah. it's just a disgusting detail that. Oh yeah. Let's
0: transition from there because it's (laughs) getting hot. Hell getting getting hot and
1: sweaty let's, yeah yeah let's, let's hop into this tr- car trunk and just peel
3: out of this peel out. yeah i've not punctured our tires um all right well let's uh let's talk about any other mental health topics that we see in this movie we're not going to dig into them um because we're going a little long but we just like to mention things when we see them go by um and we've already mentioned substance abuse but i also want to say we do see suicide um or attempted yeah. suicide here
0: I would say sociopathy or anti-antisocial yeah. <laughs> personality disorder <laughs> mm-hmm. is on display. That's fair.
3: Yeah, it's um, on display
1: in several places. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there's
3: grief also. You know, because mm-hmm. I mean, for uh, the majority of the movie, we think that he did just watch his mm-hmm. dad die. You know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. PTSD, a little bit of flashback. And- yep, yep. There's a, it's a lot.
3: There's a lot going on in this movie. I think it's deceptively complex, Alora, as I think you said. All all the hits. Yeah. Is there anything else we want to shout out or shall we move on? I think we're good. All right. And so now we kind of talked about in our stepfather episode, some movies where we saw uh, bad dads. But are there any other movies we want to call out that have similar themes to this? And I actually came up with nothing. Maybe because I was in a lot of feelings, but.
0: So this was another Lara recommendation. I thought this would, and I'm new to this movie and Laura, you love it and can talk way more about it. I thought this pairs nicely with the lighthouse because you have that son who's trying to gain approval from the dad. And you see that in the relationship with Robert Pattinson, another child franchise star that is going on yep. along with Chris, along with like Kristen Stewart uh, to do like incredibly interesting things in there. Career. i almost
1: mentioned him earlier when you yeah. said that i did too yeah, and i didn't I, I wouldn't have made the lighthouse connection but now that you say that yeah. i totally see it i could yeah. see that being a really fun double feature yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know i didn't really come up with a lot because i felt like we mentioned all the ones last mm-hmm. time that i would have mentioned this time so i just i was staring at my letterbox and just coming up with mm-hmm. links. yeah
3: and this is not horror but i would say field of dreams that we mentioned mm. earlier mm-hmm. uh, which i love that movie
0: yeah
1: And I will give a shout out to this other podcast that Sarah Marshall does called What About or Like Why Are Dads? Hold on. Why Are Dads? Um, Because that one takes a move, like they unpack a lot of dad related Mm -hmm. movies. And that one, it's not necessarily bad dads in this, in the way that we're approaching it here, but it's just like the complex stuff that comes along with fatherhood and being a father figure and all mm-hmm. that sort of stuff so shout, shout out to that yeah.
0: i would say too the it, not horror if we're doing not horror i just re this i love wes anderson's bottle rocket his debut film like oh, i remember you know, i've never
1: seen that. that
0: oh remember seeing that on vhs before rushmore came out and then my then roommate and i like rushing to the theaters like the instant Rushmore came out we're like, we need to see more anything this dude does. Mm-hmm. The character of Dignan
1: Bombs, too. Oh
0: my god. Even better. that's
1: got some like fatherhood oh, going on in there. Yeah. Even yeah.
0: better. But the character of Dignan, played by Owen Wilson in Bottle Rocket, definitely looking for that kind of father figure and that father approval throughout. So love that movie.
3: Well, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. <laughs> This is where we share any grounding or self-care uh, that have been particularly effective for us this week. Um, grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, practices that help us get through the tough moments um, or the tough days. And self-care is anything we do that makes us feel good or makes us feel better. And I was coming up empty today. Like I've had, I, I don't know. I, ke- I feel like I've been stuck in this self-care rut and it's been, I, I don't want to keep, like just saying the same things. Like I'm watching the crown again. I'm still listening to um, you're wrong about, but I started running again Mm -hmm. and I've just, that's a big deal. It is. Yeah. And I've been trying to like really be consistent with it and doing it. And I've just been saying, okay, I'm just going to run for this one song. And when the song is over, I can stop or I can keep going. And that's helped me because it's, it's one of those things where it's like, I have a love hate relationship with it, especially since I'm kind of out of practice, you know,
1: I do the same thing when I'm exercising. It's like, I try to repeat to myself, like, you don't have to go for any longer than like seven minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you, but usually once the get the momentum going, I'll like I'll do, if I say I, I'll do seven minutes, I'll do 15 and yada, yada. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And sometimes I just
3: stop after that song, you know? Lots of right. times I do, so.
1: Well, running is also awful and I hate <laughs> it, so <congrats. laughs> But at what
3: cost? <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs>
1: My least favorite form of exercise, but I, uh, I haven't really been doing much self-care, but I feel like I've been very reflective and trying to appreciate things in the moment when I can grab onto them. I've been you know, doing my wa- little stupid little walks and, and listening to um, an Esther Perel podcast. And she is, you know, a very famous relationships and sex therapist and wrote a book called Mating in Captivity. That's a really interesting book on, on real- monogamous relationships. She has a new podcast called How's Work, mm-hmm. and it's kind of applying her lens as a relationship therapist to the workplace, Ooh. which I just think is really fascinating. And I can't remember if I talked about this during the Alien episode. Just a little bit. I think. Did I? Yeah. You know, because we were we were talking about the idea of like a workplace therapist. So she she had an episode that I was listening to on my walk today, talking to journalists that had been working throughout the pandemic and just and she was talking to like a huge group of them and uh, which is interesting because most of her stuff is like one on one or one on two. It's one on two really, but she just had the line about recovering from the pandemic and how it was this collective trauma. She's had the line, collective traumas need collective healing. And she was talking about pushing up against the idea that trauma has to be an individual experience when it's so often a community experience. And that just really stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And then as I was coming toward the end of my walk, I started noticing a series of smells. And I was thinking about how one of the biggest things... It's one of the biggest little things in the pandemic is how many people lost their sense of smell, Mm -hmm. and there's there's a ton of funding going into the research on it now, and like just people, you know, people who only got mild cases of it, young people, healthy people, like losing your sense of smell, and how much I love my sense of smell, and because sometimes when I my allergies really act up, I like lose my sense of smell for a day or two, and I was walking and it smelled like somebody was baking, and I, I made the mental note to write down all the smells I smelled. And I smelled something that reminded me of buttered apples and sweetness, like somebody was baking. And then I smelled flower petals on a tree. And then I smelled old beer in a doorway, and I smelled garbage. And I just thought, I'm really grateful for my sense of smell. Mm-hmm. And that that reminds that's me of
3: Mike, what you were talking about about the things you heard. You know, it's like yeah, there's so much around us that
0: mm-hmm. you know you just take for granted.
3: Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm, Exactly. Um, So I just wanted to, like, in that one little moment, appreciate that. uh, Now I want
3: to say goodbye to clocks ticking. Goodbye to, you know.
0: (laughs) So for me, like, lately it's been, because it's been like a really hard few weeks. Like, it feels like a year's worth of like problems are occurring in like a three week window at school with the kids being fully back and like you're getting everything all at once. So it's been really stressful. And I'm trying to celebrate wins even when it's hard. So like this past weekend, we had a small, like we let our daughter have like five friends over, three slept over. They slept outside on her trampoline. And, you know, I spent the day, and I'm going for knee surgery in a couple weeks, so I'm not getting around well, but I'm like, I got to cut the grass. You know, and there were and I'm like, oh I'm feeling pretty good doing this. And then a couple of times I pivoted and just screamed
2: because mm. I oh. pulled
0: something, but I'm like, well, oh, gotta mm-hmm. keep going. And then I'm like, all right, gotta put like the fairy lights on the tent, on the um trampoline, so it looks cool, and the spotlights are out, and let's put together this tent that I can't figure out that they're probably not going to and ended up not using. Let's set up the outside theater and do we have enough chips? And it was like by by like I started like 9 a.m. and by like 4 p.m. I'm just like sweaty and stinky and then but the kids came over they had an awesome time the next so they left the next day the kid, and then we just they're doing work on our house where they're putting in like central AC which is like we're really excited about that but it means in the middle of like a 95 degree heat wave they're doing the work and I'm in a room with just like a an overhead fan but I'm like you know watching movies, like we watch Bottle Rocket and Dodgeball and Clueless and you know, just like non-horror for the day, just to relax with the fam. And I just looked mm-hmm. at my wife, so I'm like, you know, it was a lot of work Saturday, but our kid had a kickass time. Her friends had a good time. She was really grateful for it. You know, there was never a moment where she's like, but we want to do this instead. And you don't get a lot of wins like that. Like it was a lot of work, but it was a huge win. You know, and I'm trying yeah, mm-hmm. to like, remember that there are a lot worse things and it's nothing major, but it was just like, I'll look back on this weekend, like a year from now, a couple years from now and be like, that was actually pretty nice. Mm-hmm.
1: That's, that's great. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, we want to hear from you. What is your current self-care? Do you know Elton John? (laughs) I'm stealing some of the homework (laughs) questions. I I came up empty on this because, man, what movie makes you feel a lot of feelings like this one where it's hard for you to write (laughs) pithy questions? Uh, What else is on your mind? Um, have you ever smeared poo on anything intentionally? Um, don't answer that one.
1: I don't really <laughs> want to know if you have. We don't not, <laughs> yeah. none of us are retracting that.
3: None exactly. Redact, question redacted, yeah. Um <laughs> you can share all of this and more by following us at PsychoApod on all the socials. You can join our Facebook group, the psychoanalysis podcast support group. It's a private and moderated group where we can talk about things discussed in episodes, mental health, anything else that's going on. And you can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com. If you'd like to share privately and if you have a moment, please leave us a rating review at Apple iTunes. It really helps people find the pod and it makes us feel good. So thank you. Um,
1: we need the endorphins, the dopamine, give us the dopamine. We do,
3: especially after this episode. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> um, and
3: our homework question for today, and I'm going to call an audible, I think, cause I love all of the questions, but what if we just said, what are some good depictions of dads in movies? Like, who, who's oh, yeah, your I favorite movie dad, you know?
1: To end on a the bad dad note on a positive. Yeah, because yeah. there are a lot of
3: wonderful dads and we want to hear about them, you know? Yeah, so that's our homework question. And next up for us, we have another comfort horror episode. I am super excited about it. Special guest Rebecca McCallum from The Ghouls Magazine is going to be joining us. And we are going to be talking about A Nightmare on Elm Street.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just my probably number one comfort horror movie. So that's great. I'm really excited. Yeah. So that's what's up next for us.
3: We are a member of the Consequence Podcast Network. You can find us along with lots of other great pods by going to Consequence of Sound. And um, I'm sorry, by going to consequence.net. And Mike, where can we find you online?
0: Sure. So if you've listened to our episodes before, you may also know me from such podcasts as The Pod and the Pendulum, <laughs> co-hosted by Lindsay Travis, where we cover different horror movie franchises, one movie an episode at a time. As this episode drops, like we are entering the conjuring verse. So Ooh. our first episode of The Conjuring is out. We have Annabelle next. And it's pretty interesting. Like, we released the episode of The Conjuring the weekend that Conjuring 3 debuted.
1: Uh huh. I was thinking about that. mm, There's
0: this backlash against the movie. Like, all of a sudden, people are learning that the Warrens weren't exactly the greatest people in the world. Yeah.
1: All the fair criticisms are suddenly becoming discourse. Uh (laughs) Right.
0: You know, and it's like, and I agree. We're actually going to do a separate episode just on the Warrens and kind of like, investigate the investigators mm-hmm. which was gonna be a lot of fun but like mm-hmm. one of the criticisms i saw was like you know the, the warrens are depicted as like way too like loving and kind to one another in these movies and i'm like man if that's like you know how dare you sir <laughs> how dare you show like a happy warm positive yeah. relationship
1: well, the the reverse of that was a very funny one that I did retweet just because it made me really laugh, but it was The Conjuring 3 is the straightest movie I've ever yes. seen. Yeah, <laughs> you I know, saw that which, one too. And I yeah. agree. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that one just made me laugh. I think it's yeah. just funny that people are just now coming around to this and it's, yeah. I've always enjoyed those movies whilst completely having the same discomfort i have real discomfort with heavily christian things and that's why i made the joke last time we talked about uh it being a christian superhero movie and like i it's always been like a cognitive dissonance for me to Mm -hmm. enjoy those movies but i just think it's so funny that suddenly people are yeah yeah having this talk you know
3: (laughs) yeah i just like to present to the discourse like just hey discourse if you're listening lots of things can be true at the same time
0: yeah yeah, it's going to be complicated. <laughs> what a <It's>, thought! Yeah. <laughs> it, nothing has to be absolute. Like exactly, you can also uh, so find me at the pot on the pendulum. Find me at Mike underscore on Twitter. Uh, but I've also <laughs> guested on a couple shows. So out now, if you listen to Kill by Kill, I cover Scream three and defend the honor of like the redheaded stepchild of that franchise, and I defend it quite well. I have an episode coming up at Certified Forgotten with Matt and Matt, where we talk about the late 2000s gory, over the top, sexually explicit movie Sweatshop. And I believe the episode of Grumpire, where you can actually hear me talk about non horror movies, where I defend Sam Raimi Spider Man 3 as something <laughs> of a masterpiece and say Toy Story 3, you know. Not all, it's all cracked up to be. Toy Story (laughs) 2 is the real masterpiece of the series.
3: Hot takes. So yeah. That's funny. (laughs) Hot takes on (laughs) prequels. Laura, where can we find
1: you? Oh boy. (laughs) You can find me on Twitter at Underalls, U-N-D-E-R-A-L-L-S, much like the place you go to find poop. To put on a pen that's at <laughs> underalls, U N D E R A L L S, <laughs> occasionally on Losers Club and Halloweenies as well. Two great pods full of great people <laughs> here in Radioland. I think I've just got radio on the mind because of um, Pony Pool. Mm, and- I love Pony Pool. Yes. I love that movie. Anytime we should talk about that, I don't know. I can't figure out where it would fit, but maybe a comfort horror. Yeah.
0: Brad McCarg, comfort horror, Pawnee Pool. Yeah. Book,
3: <laughs> Book-, Book it. Book it. Book it. Uh, I mean, you can find me at Jim Ferratu on um, all social places, and you can also find me on the Losers Club. We're talking about Lisi's story right now and lots of other fun stuff coming up. And you can find me writing the Strong Female Antagonist blog, which I'm needing to do some work on. And you can also maybe find me doing something new that should be out in a couple of, I don't know when's, but soon. So, Oh boy. So something new might be coming down the pipes, maybe wearing sequins. Um, Yeah. So that's where you can find me. Excellent. And that's our episode on Come to Daddy. I feel like... Come to Daddy. <laughs>
0: Come to Daddy.
3: I mean, I don't want to say... Come to Daddy. I feel like we came. <laughs> <laughs> we
1: came, we saw, it we did. <laughs> I like that. Oh.
3: <laughs> and I just... I don't know what it means. I, just, I don't know. I just ate my ear. So, you know.
1: <laughs> Ooh. It's better than yellow jizz. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Look, all of this is in the movie. (laughs) That's right. It's not coming from us, guys. It's not coming from us. Kill me. Well, thank
3: you so much for joining us for this series. It's late. I know, man. And this has been a a lot of feelings here. (laughs) Ah, so, thank you. So- I cried. Oh, <laughs> <Aww. laughs> <laughs> listeners, thank you for joining us. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Please make sure to take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And with that, let's sign off. Whew. We came here to chew daddy gum. I'm sorry, that is so weird. <laughs> 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 I'll cut that, that out. That is
0: one consonant away from a much different.
3: Ooh. Oh, Uh-oh. ooh, okay. we came here to chew bubble gum and take care of ourselves and we're
1: all out out of bubble gum gum. really we're out of it